Hello and welcome to another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thank you so much for listening. This is where I have conversations with people who are living life on their own terms. We dive into those big moments that have pushed them through the fears and self-limiting beliefs that hold so many of us back. Now our bodies are communicating to us all the time, but too often we don't listen. My guest today is Matthew Bate, and he spent a decade playing Australian rules football at the top level for the Melbourne Football Club. For many years, he tried to mask what his body was trying to communicate to him by using pharmaceutical drugs, painkillers, and sleeping pills, which transformed into an addiction. But life looks so much different for Matthew right now, as he stopped and started listening to what his body was trying to communicate to him and reconnected to his body through food. This episode is about holistic health and how being healthy allows you to do the things that you love with people that you love. And you all know that is so dear to my heart. Matthew and I talk about seasonal eating, fitness, and being aware of what you eat, along with anxiety and stress, vulnerability, shame, following your heart, and dealing with the unknown with big life decisions. Matthew is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to health and food and how our body responds to what we put into it. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Matthew Bate. Hi Matt, how are you? Yeah, good thanks Mike, how are you? I'm very well mate, very well indeed. And whereabouts in this beautiful world do I find you today? Um, at the moment, I uh, find myself in Byron Bay, uh, northern New South Wales. So just moved up here uh, just over two, about two and a half months ago now, actually. So oh. sort of a move, yeah, move that I, my girlfriend and I and another friend had been planning for a bit more than a year and finally kind of manifested it. So yeah, very excited to be here. Oh, beautiful. And Byron Bay, for for those uh, listeners in, in North America and around the world, uh, is the most easterly point in Australia, just up at the, the northern part of um, New South Wales. It's probably a, be pretty close to about the, the middle of the eastern seaboard there. But what made you, what made you move up to Byron Bay? Yeah, good question. Um, well, I'm originally from Melbourne, uh, which is obviously uh, right down in the southeasterly uh, point of Australia. And um, I've lived there for 30 years and played uh, Australian football my whole life. So it's a winter game, um, what we call AFL for the non-Australian listeners. Um, It's a winter game, so I've spent many, many, many winters um, out in wearing uh, stupidly tight uh, small shorts and and uh, and and sleeveless jumpers and freezing freezing my butt off and um, I, and I'm also just a um, it's 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 a lot warmer up here in Byron Bay. The winters are really beautiful and mild and sunny and um, I just love the sun. I, I was really craving a beach lifestyle where so we're living like literally a five minute walk from the beach now. Um, it's much more kind of tropical up here. I'm a fruit lover so lot better access to tropical fruit uh, that hasn't been sort of shipped thousands and thousands of kilometers. It's much uh, riper. It's much tastier. Um, the, it's, it's also a very uh, health conscious um, community around here. So um, a lot of, you know, they don't have fluoride in the water. A lot of the local fruit and veg, um, even if it's not certified organic, it's not sort of sprayed with pesticides or anything like that. And um 
and yeah, it's just, and it's also just a bit of a community. It's a much smaller town. Like it's, it gets really crazy busy in holiday periods, but in the off season, it's, it's very uh, quiet and peaceful and, um, it's coming from a big, sprawling, hectic city. Uh, that's definitely what I was craving. And, um, you know, then it is much more of a community, like where the little area where I live, which is called Suffolk Park, it's, you get to know people pretty quickly and, you know, you walk down the beach and everyone smiles and gives you, says hello and gives you a wave. And that sort of, I think that sort of community feel is what I was kind of craving. Mate, it sounds like a, a, a perfect place to live, actually, when you describe it like that. But you, you, <laughs> it could be you, a sales rep. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But you did mention that you you played AFL or Australian Rules Football or Aussie Rules, yep. as we like to call it. But you actually played it professionally for the, the Melbourne Footy Club um, for a decade or more. But did you always want to play footy as a kid growing up? Um, yeah, I, I did actually, it was an absolute obsession from the, I, I think I was pretty influenced by my older brother who's eight years older and my dad. So as, as far as I can, um, as far back as I can remember, I remember just seeing them watching footy, playing footy, talking about footy. So I guess it just kind of got bombarded into my subconscious and naturally I just, uh, got really hooked on it. And I, um, I was always a very outdoors kid. I grew up on a farm, like quite a bit out of, um, Melbourne. So I, I would just take my footy out into the paddocks for hours on end, just kicking it and, um, had my little, had my heroes on TV who I'd really look up to and kind of want to emulate. So it really was a, um, a, a childhood dream. And, um, I, um, I was very single minded as well in my, uh, approach to it. I, I wasn't like silly in terms of like neglected studies or anything like that, but everything, even up to the point where I, when I was drafted in the professional league at 17, uh, everything up to then was, was secondary towards, uh, to my obsession with making, um, the professional league. So, but, ta- but take um, me back to that moment when you did get drafted in, into the, the professional footy to play for, for Melbourne Footy Club. What was the first thought that went to your head, through your head when you got picked? Um, I think it was just a mixture of, uh, like, excitement, awe, and uh, also I was quite daunted. <laughs> I, I sort of was drafted very young. I, I was drafted just before they changed the age limit, um, so that you had to be a little bit older to get into the professional league. So I was like the last person drafted as, as a young 17-year-old. So I probably, you know, in, in uh, leagues around the world, especially over in America, like you, you generally go through a college system before you get to the pre- professional league. And I think that I, – I think I like what they do over there because it does um, help you develop a level of maturity um, and professionalism and get used to it. Whereas I was sort of really chucked in the deep end. Um, and I, so I, I think I was, I was really excited, but I was very unprepared And my first two years were just big learning curves of, um, you know, I was just a bit of a laid back country kid who was, who was very, you know, hardworking when it came to footy and things I, I loved, but very laid back and not probably, um, wasn't probably ready for the, like intense competitiveness and, and, you know, as a 17 year old getting into a, a league and a team full of really, you know, developed adults who were ruthlessly competitive. So it was, it was eye opening for me to say the least. 
like I played AFL when when I was younger, and they usually put me in the um, the forward pocket, and then they moved me to the wing when they realised I wasn't that great at kicking goals. But um, <laughs> but like AFL, mate, it is a it's a physical game, and it's nonstop running. Like, yeah. how how does your body feel at the end of a big professional game? Um, yeah, it's it's a brutal sport because. Um, you have to basically be quite elite in every single fitness component. Um, you know, you get other, you got other sports that might more focus on speed or strength or like with tennis, it's more like agility and skill. Um, and same with basketball with, um, soccer, it's probably a bit more about aerobic capacity and skill. Um, rugby, it's like kind of brute strength and, and speed. So yeah, you put you put every kind of sport together, and that's like your AFL sort of takes a fitness component from each. But you have to be you have to learn to excel at each, and you have to learn like everyone's got their strengths. Some might be better in some fitness components, and others in other fitness components. But you've got to try to get them all up to a really good level. So what that means is that the preseason or the off season training. Um, is really brutal you you sort of have to fit everything into the training program and um so and then game times it's the same like you obviously you get conditioned and you get used to it but it's a it's a high high contact sport so you, you come off the ground with you know bruises all over you if you haven't if you haven't been injured and you everything's just screaming for a rest but um you, you do get used to it of course and you know i i imagine as and you know you're kind of alluding to it there you know being a top athlete there are all kinds of pressures to being at your best all the time and keeping your yep. body healthy and in top shape but parallel to that there's also the the drugs and painkillers that are used to push your body to the limits like wh when was it that you really started to look at your health in a more natural kind of way yeah no good question i um I actually wrote a book about my story uh, regarding this called 365 Days of Wholeness, which um, the w original website we had it up on is down, but we were just, my girlfriend and I are just about to um, publish a new website in about a month um, called seedsofawareness.com.au. So what what I talk about in, in that book is um, sort of how health started becoming a really big focus for me because of the the pain um, and the imbalances in my body I started feeling about midway through my AFL career. And it sort of got to a point where, um, you know, when you first get into into the sport, you're young and you can kind of eat what you want, especially when you're training a lot, you can eat anything and your body burns it off. Um, but I really had no concept of inflammatory foods or anti-inflammatory foods and foods that improve your immune system and foods that help you sleep and all these sort of different elements of diet. I was just sort of the mindset of just get my carbs, get my protein and maybe get enough veggies and that's it. Um, but it was sort of about, I played professional for eight years and it was probably about five years in where I've really started noticing my body breaking down and I was getting a lot of inflammation and um, obviously you're not, you're not in a sport that allows you to rest for long periods of time. You're trying to play uh, each and every week. So I naturally, you know, went to the doctors and turned to pharmaceutical drugs. Um, I was on all sorts of things from painkillers, uh, anti-inflammatories, um, and it got to the point where I was becoming very reliant on them, and, and I could really feel, you know, that they were just masking what I had in, what I was experiencing. They weren't really getting to the core problem of, of why my body was out of balance. Um, 
And so there's only so long you can mask, you know, the, the, cr- the cries for help that your body's trying to send to you. And that, that's really what I started learning pain and discomfort is. It's just your body trying to communicate to you that something's, you know, I'm out of balance here or you're overworking me here and you're not giving me enough of good things to help allow me to heal properly. And then, you know, you're masking it. You're trying to, trying to shut the body up with pharmaceutical drugs which um, are actually putting more toxicity in the body and kind of compounding the problem. And um, I sort of, in the book I write, I have an analogy um, where I talk about the, the body, you can liken it to the dashboard on your car. You know, your car's always trying to give you feedback, whether the fuel's low or the oil's low or something's wrong in the engine. Um, and, you know, nat- naturally you respond to those, those warning signals, whereas uh, pharmaceutical drugs are kind of like putting... Um, uh, bits of tape over the the warning signals on your dashboard and, and keeping on driving, pretending everything's going to be fine. Mm. Um, and so I, yeah. And then that led to, um, it affected my sleep a lot and the stress of a professional career. And that, um, led to also a, a sleeping pill addiction for 10 years, which is a, another topic if you want to talk about. <laughs> wow. That, that is a great analogy. I, I think, you know, I know I really do believe too, that the body does try to communicate th- to us like in, in different kind of ways, but like, through, yeah. you know, you, you, you did mention your book there that you, you co-authored, like what were some of the big takeaways that you wanted people to learn through that book? Yeah, I guess, um, the big thing is, um, Firstly, understanding how many of us have become disconnected from um, food and and from nature. Um, You know, we grow up and we're so used to buying things on a supermarket shelf from boxes, Um, many things that have kind of been, you know, scientifically manufactured. And you read the ingredients in there, um, you know, they've got all sorts of names and that you can't even pronounce, like, you know, all sorts of chemicals, all sorts of preservatives like numbers and stuff like that. And so I don't know, like, I don't think you find those things growing in your vegetable garden, Mm. how, you know, and we've lived off, we've lived in harmony with the world as we've evolved as, as human beings, they say for millions of years. And whereas these dramatic changes in our diet where we've been eating from boxes and eating all these um, preservative riddled foods and pesticide riddled foods, it's only been, you know, it's only recent, like the last hundred or so years. It's not, it's not a long-term thing. And many of us born in that era, we think that that's normal, but it's, it's, you know, it's really not. And also, there's a big uh, shift that's happened in terms of um, the the type of foods we're eating. We're eating a lot more meat, a lot more grains than ever before. Um, you look at tribal cultures and cultures that live more off the land. It's they eat a lot of fruit plant-based foods and you know meat is generally only eaten when they can either catch it or sacrifice their their local um goat or something like that um you know milk is not pasteurized straight from the animal so there's been big shifts in how we eat and um i think what the the key is that i took out of it is that we're eating a lot of a lot more acidic foods a lot more inflammatory producing foods um we're living lifestyle that's a lot more inflammatory producing with like you know we're in the sort of technological bombardment we get daily of our senses. It can keep us sort of in that fight or flight with a lot of um, cortisol and adrenaline release in the blood. Um, So, yeah, and that's something that I think Tom Brady is big on, the the superstar uh, quarterback. I was sort of pleased to discover he's onto the same thing where he he talks a lot about eating more alkaline-rich foods, eating more raw foods, eating locally grown, eating, um, you know, pesticide-free foods. 
and probably minimizing meat. And if, you know, people do eat meat, it's, you know, understanding how the animal's been um, produced. Like, was it pumped full of antibiotics? Was it pumped full of food that it wasn't mm. designed to eat? And therefore, the, the tissue quality of the flesh is a lot lower or was it raised naturally out in the paddocks eating grass and all that sort of thing so and then on top of that all the pesticides you know um junk food that we eat it's kind of like another analogy i use in the book is if you if you had a plant that you were trying to take care of all that plant needs to thrive is certain conditions like sunlight water right temperature and good nourishing soil whereas if you take away any of those conditions the plant starts wilting and so we know that to treat the plant or to get the plant back into health, we just give it that, that condition back. Maybe it's not getting enough sunlight, put it out in the sun. Maybe it's not getting enough water. Um, whereas we don't run down to the doctor with the plant and ask him for a prescription and put some pharmaceuticals <laughs> in the soil. And it's the same with us. Humans, humans just need certain conditions. We need sunlight. We need fresh air. We need enough sleep. We need the, the right proper low toxin diet. Um, and we need enough exercise and we need, you know, all, all those sort of things. So it's just understanding the conditions that your body needs to thrive each day. And, um, and not to say that there's no place for pharmaceuticals. Like um, there's, you know, I, I broke my wrist a couple of years ago in footy and I, was, I had surgery and I was very, very grateful for the morphine they gave me. And I was in absolute agony and the painkillers afterwards. And, but it's just to understand that they're not actually healing the body. They're masking the mm. pain. And, um, and so it's sort of like putting pharmaceuticals in the soil of a plant and wondering why it's wilting every day, wondering why it's not in, in ultimate health. So it's a whole variety of factors. Like I don't think there's any, um, there's any sort of one thing that gets the body back in balance, but just sort of learning all these things over the last few years has really helped, helped my body heal personally. Yeah, I remember someone saying um, that if you eat food made by someone that wears a white coat, you'll probably end up needing to see someone that wears a white coat to, yeah, to fix your body later on. <laughs> exactly. But you've also worked with, with many people, including top athletes, to help them rid their body of these toxins that we've been speaking about and allow their bodies to, to thrive on a plant-based diet. From, yep. from a body performance point of view, why is a plant-based diet so important to our health? Um, well, I talk about in the book, I mean, it's obviously, it can be a bit of a polarizing subject, um, the diet, uh, there's so many different beliefs around it. There's people who swear by high meat paleo diet. Um, and there's other people who swear the, the complete opposite. Um, so it is, it is a bit of a tough subject, but from the, the research I sort of discovered is that you can find core principles that we can all agree on and, and generally, that is that, you know, having food grown from nature, having food that's low in toxins, having food that's fresh um, is, is something and getting getting chemicals, getting junk food out of the diet. And my research has led me to a, a, a plant based diet. I read a lot of um, books of other professional athletes when I was still playing professional sport, like the ultra marathon runner uh, Rich Roll. Um, there's an, he's got this amazing book called finding ultra where he went from this sort of super unhealthy late guy in his late thirties to one of the fittest humans on the planet running ultra marathons in his forties. And he did it all on a plant-based diet. Um, and then there's another athlete called Brendan Brazier who I read a book of, who was an, who was a, um, a marathon runner as well. And it just started really opening up my eyes and, um, 
I it just made a lot of sense that um, you know all the all the sort of nutrients. Um, if if you've got a well balanced, well varied diet, all the nutrients um, you can find are in are in a plant based diet, and um, much much more sort of um, in oh, what's the right word? Much less inflammatory producing on the body, um, and yeah, very obviously there's a whole lot of other factors as well. But I, I do say to people that if they're going to eat meat, um, you know, it's, I think it's good to sort of be really mindful of portion sizes, um, not, not having too much. And also, yeah, if you, if you can get grass fed, organic, um, produced stuff, it's going to be a lot better on the body. Yeah. My, my wife, Ingrid and I actually did, um, no meat may um yep. where we didn't eat any any meat at all in the in the month of may and it was surprisingly a lot easier than than i thought like we eat quite a healthy um yep. a lot of healthy food anyway but there would always be meat you know i'd, I'd always have meat on my sandwiches or every meal there would be yep. some some portion of meat and and we didn't miss it at all and i really enjoyed all the different foods that we were eating or different ways to cook kind of um some vegetarian food and when then we went away with our friends over the june long weekend just passed and we you know there was big amounts of meat at every meal and yeah. and we both came back we like <laughs> some our body's not really loving this at all like there was just you know it, it just didn't feel right so we have yep. we're kind of keeping that that no I, I don't think I, i'll call myself a vegetarian or a, or a vegan i don't think i need to put myself in a, in a box or anything because yep. whenever i go to somebody's house whatever food they put up i will always eat because that's just do you know what I mean? I I enjoy them opening their table to me more than, um, you know, my own beliefs and things like that. But yep. it was, um, it, our, I think our bodies really responded to it. Like in a, you know, we spoke before about our bodies communicating to us. Uh, during that month, our bodies were like, hey, thanks guys. That was really good. Nice. Yeah. And, and you've, you've hit the nail on the head and it's something that I've moved more and more towards is, is really connecting back into the body. And understanding that there is just an incredible intelligence in the body that um, if we're connected to, it's always telling us what it needs. And unfortunately, we live in a society that constantly allows us to numb the body. We're, we're always trying to get away from what the body is trying to say to us. And, and there's all sorts of things like from drugs we can take to food. You know, food can be an addiction as well. And many people eat food to numb themselves. Um, but also, you know, from TV to social media to going out, partying, anything to sort of, you know, get away from the body. Whereas when you connect back into it, it's always trying to communicate to you subtly and sometimes strongly what what it needs. And that's the same with diet. And there's so many different factors. I've, I, I went through a period where I was pretty rigid. I was like very strict vegan and, um, you know, very, uh, very living by that sort of moral code. And I do, um, really appreciate what veganism stands for, but I also now see how it can be very polarizing and it can be, um, nearly like a new religion where people are so obsessed with following the moral, moral, uh, moral code that they don't actually listen to their body. And, you know, there's, there's different cultures that, you know, you've got the, Inuits who um, live in the sort of Eskimo types living up in um, right up in the top of what is it North America or Alaska or whatever it is um, who their environment demands that they eat they need meat um, and you've got other other cultures I think it, I think what the body needs depends on where you are what your emotional state is 
I've noticed since coming up um, to a warmer climate in Byron Bay that my body's craving different foods. Um, I'm craving a lot more fruit. Um, you know, down in Melbourne winter, the last thing you sort of think of eating is, you know, papaya and <laughs> pineapple and um, custard apples and mm. all these sort of things. Watermelon, it's like, well, they're the summer foods. Whereas up here, more close to the tropics, um, you know, you kind of, you, you're anchored to a different part of the world and therefore your body's giving you different signals and the fruit, the fruit's a lot more, um, a lot more fresh and juicy and sweet up here. It's a lot easier to eat. And, um, and, and it's amazing too that like when you think about our body <laughs> commun- communicating to us and, and also nature communicating to us, like in those environments when your body is craving certain things, that's the same food that nature provides in those environments. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, yeah, that's, and that's, you know, getting back to seasonal eating as well. Nature, whatever area you're living in, the foods that are being produced are very likely to be the foods that your body needs right then. And um, so it's, you know, but when you tap into that, um, when you tap into that, those sort of subtleties of the body and, and really trust it, it, it never steers you wrong. That's what I've found. And, but the problem is people are, are so conditioned. They're so conditioned to eat the way they were brought up. They're so conditioned to eat at certain times of the day. Um, you know, another thing I've sort of got right into is I'm not sure if you've got much into it yourself, Mike, but intermittent fasting, um, is, is a really fascinating thing. Yeah, um, no, we, we, we haven't done that, but it's, it's interesting that you talk about that because our, builder who's a family friend we've done kind of renovations on our house yep. over the past kind of six years just when we can save the money we do a little bit more and um he he would be peter would be oh, like 60 65 a scotsman and he is fit and i spoke yeah. to him one day i'm like pete like you you're a really fit guy obviously you're a carpenter so you're out moving around um i said what's your secret and he, he pretty much has said for two days of the week i only eat 500 um, calories and, yep. he's, and he's like usually it's like a, a dinner at uh, a salmon and salad at night time yep. and that's it and the rest mm-hmm. I kind of don't think about it um, yep. and I was like wow that's a uh, an interesting way of doing it but Inga and I haven't got into that no yeah well I mean it's something I've only sort of got into the last year and it's once again I'm um, this is just sort of my research like it's and, and I, I really try to sort of be open-minded with this sort of stuff and also um, try it out first like that's the that's the most important thing like not dismissing something before giving it a go or seeing how your body responds and I watched a TED talk um, originally on it by this scientist I can't remember his name but it's um, it's one of the few TED talks on it on YouTube so it wouldn't be that hard to find but this scientist, talks about how the brain um, responds to fasting um, as the same way our body does to exercise. And he said that the reason humans have been such amazing survivalists over so many hundreds of thousands of years, and we tend to forget that through that period we've survived ice ages, we've survived climate changes, we've survived, you know, continents moving. Like we're, we're pretty good at surviving. And you know, you can't, you can't guarantee Well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't confidently claim that there was always an abundance of food available and we didn't have supermarkets where we could mm. go buy food and we didn't, you know, we'd go through winters where food wouldn't be that available. And the reason we can do that and survive through those periods is because like every other mammal on, on the planet, we're, we're really good at going, um, short and extended periods with, um, with minimal, uh, minimal calories. 
And so what this scientist talks about how the way the body's designed is that out in nature, if your blood sugar starts dropping and your body signals hunger and you don't have anything around you to eat, that you know we you, you speak to the average person they think that if they don't they can't eat every four, four hours they're going to drop dead whereas what what would you do out in nature like how good would we, would we be at surviving if we just started fatiguing and started getting tired and started um you know getting lethargic when we needed to go find food so nature designed it in a way that when our blood sugar drops and we we don't have anything around to to um to get the blood sugar back up we uh, our body switches to a fat burning metabolism called ketosis, and the byproducts of that called ketones are amazing brain fuel. And your senses start becoming heightened, your brain starts thinking more clearly. Um, you become, in in essence, you become really primed to go search, hunt, or gather some food. So um, this made a lot of sense to me. So I started trying it where I'd stop eating at six or seven o'clock at night, and I wouldn't eat till midday or one o'clock the next day so you do it so your sleep is a big chunk of your fast so you don't really feel like you fasted that much so i might do like 16 17 or 18 hours three or four times a week and you start at first you know you you, you can sort of feel like a bit of panic because you're so used to eating at the same time every day but then you sort of realize um the body is actually amazing at um adapting to this sort of way of living and it actually responds in really beneficial ways and there's a lot of science showing the health benefits of um, intermittent fasting in terms of extra human growth hormone production, extra detoxification of the body, um, more cellular uh, repair. Um, some some are going into um, – there's a bit of research on stem cell regeneration with it. So, yeah, that's another thing that I, I would really encourage people to um, look into but also challenge your own association with food. Like if someone's – so um, used to eating at the same time every day, um, you know, once again, the body isn't, uh, the body's always in a kind of flux state where it's changing a lot. So the body, the body doesn't necessarily, um, might not necessarily want to eat at those times. Whereas when you tap into, like you really connect back into it and you listen to it, um, it the body wants to eat at regular time, like at regular times when it's ready and it might not be those sort of structured times. So if that makes sense. A hundred percent. And it's like when you, you spoke earlier about different kinds of food and, and doing the research, I've, I've have found now like it's very early days for me, you know, slowly cutting meat out and, and coming towards a plant-based diet. But I feel like for me, it's, meat or non-meat like I don't really I need to do more research myself into what kind of what kind of vegetables or fruit are good at particular times of the day like you spoke earlier about sleeping you know I'm sure there are certain foods that we shouldn't eat even if they are fruit and vegetable just before we go to bed and there should be there would be some that we should eat that are going to make us a little bit more drowsier and, and things like that like they're the kind of things that I guess within my personal journey that I kind of yep. need to do a little bit more research in and like which every time I talk to my mum about this she's like but what about your iron levels I think that must yeah. have been the thing in the in the 80s yeah. that that got everyone oh, eating more meat <laughs> and um and it's kind of like well I don't know like maybe I need to do more research on what plants are, are full of iron and kind of eat yep. them to make my my mother yep. happy but we yep. we were kind of talking before about how you've recently moved up to byron and you're nearly about well you've just launched a new company and you're about to launch the website quite soon called seed of awareness and i must say mate i i absolutely love that name i i 
so enjoyed kind of flicking through the the beta site when you sent it to me the other day. But you oh, start you. you're starting that with your your partner Steph. But in a yep. nu- in a nutshell, what is Seed of Awareness all about? Yeah, um, well, it's so just for those. Um, so it's Seeds of Awareness. Just if anyone wants to type in the URL, um, there's a, there's an S in there. But um, yeah, basically in a nutshell, it's it's sort of stemmed from my personal journey um, and also over the last 10, 15 years and as well as my um, girlfriend, Steph. So we sort of have developed a real passion for helping other people develop and, and that's really come from, stemmed from our own pain and our own suffering. Uh, for me, battling, um, being in a professional career brought up a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress that I, I really didn't know how to control at the time and didn't didn't feel comfortable um, opening myself up to resources around me. I sort of felt like I had to look macho and manly and confident and therefore vulnerability that could have possibly opened me up to some support at that time. I really closed myself off to it and was, was suffering deep down. I had a 10 year sleeping pill addiction, which um, really got its hooks in me and uh, was one thing I was very ashamed about. Um, and, and once again, very ashamed to kind of admit it and talk about it. And uh, after my career, I just a big focus was accepting that in many ways I was broken, uh, in many ways I was suffering, and that I needed to focus on healing myself. And once I opened myself up, um, whether it be to the universe or to other people, and actually started being okay and releasing the shame around it, I realized shame is a, is a very big blocking emotion it stops you from opening up and it stops you from allowing other people in um, when I when I started releasing the shame and opening myself up to all different types of healing modalities and people and mentors um, it was an incredible experience and, and I started learning more about myself learning more about the world my interaction with it what who I really am what my you know more clarity on my purpose um, more clarity on what my kind of blind spots were, the, the parts of me that um, I, you know, might not have been so proud of. And, um, and also when I met Steph, um, ironically enough, she also had a sleeping pill addiction. Uh, it's funny how you sort of attract, <laughs> attract <laughs> like attracts like. And um, she also was battling with an eating disorder, which um, is one of the high, has the highest mortality rates of any uh, diseases on the planet, I believe, eating disorders. I, I might be wrong, but I think about one in five people with an eating disorder end up dying or something like that. Um, I, hope I'm, I hope I'm not too far off the mark there. But So helping her heal um, was a whole different journey as well, and it's still a process at, at now. So um, it's and, and also I realized that one big learning for me was that I, I was focused for a while there on helping her heal, but I realized that it was I was projecting onto her at, and using it as a sort of way of avoiding things that it, I needed to actually work on in myself. Mm. And um, so it was a big learning experience, and I realized that as, as I kept pursuing the healing, opening myself up more, diving more into vulnerability, that um, I started – my awareness started growing and growing and growing, and – um, so that's why it's called seeds of awareness because we, we sort of really try to think deeply about what, what can help other people grow levels of awareness where they, they, they feel more whole, they feel more secure, they have more faith in life and the universe and the path they're on and they feel like they've got a support network around them. And I realize you can't 
force people into those levels of awareness. You can't, you can't like, you know, people are on their own journey, their own journey of self-discovery. And all you can do is by being grounded in your level of awareness, your sort of frequency that plants seeds of that plants a seed in, in the consciousness of people around you. And given the right conditions, the right nurturing, um, that, that seed will develop within that person um, and sort of grow and grow and grow. So we sort of want the content we through this website that we put out there. We want to be as vulnerable as, and as real as we can with our journey and, and hopefully plant some seeds of awareness in, in other people. So that's that's kind of the concept, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's beautiful. And I, I can't wait for it to uh, to actually launch and, and, and see the, the great bits of content that you do produce. But I, I know that you also have written about this notion that we put so much energy into things but for what whether that be money or accolades to be accepted by others or to to climb the social ladder to and to feed our ego and then like when we arrive there's this this emptiness when we arrive and because we don't feel any any different and i i actually just had a conversation um with one of the leading uk mindfulness and meditation teachers francis trussell who's actually on the uh the podcast this week that's that's just come that's uh just out at the moment and she describes this as paradise syndrome, that once we, even when we achieve everything, we're still unhappy. And it's like we're chasing this imaginary finishing line. Like, mm. why do you think as humans, we keep chasing more and so many of us struggle to be happy or content with where we're at? Um, yeah, really good question. It's a, it's a really interesting topic. Um, we, we're actually currently finishing up a a new book an ebook that we're going to put on our website for digital download that we think we're going to call it uh free range humans which is uh we wanted the we wanted a title that would be possibly a little bit controversial and what we sort of talk about in the book is that um you know we grow up in this system um some people call it the matrix or whatever whatever you want to call it we grow up in this kind of artificial system that's so disconnected from nature and we look at the outside world, like the animals and the wild, and we, we look at that as if it's a totally separate part to us. Whereas, you know, we forget that we are animals, we're mammals just like them, and we, we've sort of created these civilizations um, and, and sold, us, sold ourselves on this idea of kind of civilization being as great progress and all this sort of stuff. But we, I, I do think it's come at a great price where we now kind of a grow we grow up depending on what culture or what part of the world we live in we grow up with these sort of um conditioned beliefs that get give, passed on down to us from our, our society through the education system from our peers from our family and rather than being like the birds in the sky like the animals roaming around the plains truly free to to just be what they are we're sort of we sort of a condition to be stuck in our heads um, and really disconnected from what our heart and soul are telling us. And what, and we're sort of, you know, can, and it's also comes through the media, pummels an idea into us of how we're meant to be, what we're meant to do. And so we choose careers, um, we choose paths, we choose relationships that are very much head-centric, um, based on head-centric decisions. And, um, you know, very much ignoring the heart, ignoring that kind of, yearning that we have underneath to sort of follow our bliss and because we're all so unique that's the thing like every human is is really like a snowflake like we're all extremely unique and 
So to have this system where it tries to sort of fit everyone into the one kind of puzzle, I just don't think it's going to work because we're all, um, we've all got different parts and we, and we all, it's just about having the courage and the faith to sort of follow what our heart's saying. It's telling us to, the direction it's telling us to go because it's often very different to the direction our head's telling us to go. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's sort of, um, I, I think a big part of, of the journey of self-discovery is, is understanding where that conditioning's come from, why you believe the things you believe, why you think you need to do the things you do and really challenging them and questioning them and asking, you know, with my short time on this planet, is this really going to be something that makes me full of, you know, feel full of joy or makes me give that feeling of kind of bliss and makes my heart sing. And, um, I think, yeah, that's, that's what it ultimately, uh, ultimately comes down to. I, I think is that we, we've become very disconnected from nature, very disconnected from our own heart and soul. And, um, and yeah, very much thinking this idea of, of, chasing money and achieving being very ambitious and achieving goals and i went through a long period of my life where i was extremely ambitious like career focused money focused everything focused and i would just realize that when i got to my goals i'd kind of take a deep breath and realize that everything around me is falling apart because i've been paying no attention to all my family relationships are falling apart my my relationship with my partner is falling apart my health is falling apart my my happiness is falling apart all because i'm so fixated on this idea of this path that i need to follow and um and you know and, and also comparing yourself to others thinking looking at what others have achieved and thinking if i don't have that then i'm worthless all these sort of different factors come into it so a big big sort of journey for me the last couple of years has been learning to be okay with just being me um, with the results sort of the, the, the path that I'm taking, my um, good sides, my sort of sides that I want to work, aspects of myself I want to work on, um, being okay with all of it and not trying to, you know, not trying to judge it, not trying to compare and not trying to think I need to rush things. So, so yeah. And are there things that you've, that you've done or like certain tips or strategies that you've done <laughs> to help you get to that point that, that people might be able to try themselves of, of being okay with with what you are and 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 what you're doing and what you've achieved yeah i think it it really just comes down to a mindset um sort of having the courage to sort of go against the grain a little Mm -hmm. bit you might have a friendship group or or you might be in a you know a sporting team or or a career or a job or or a place or a family where there's all these expectations of you to be a certain way and just really challenging that and, and challenging yourself to feel comfortable being you no matter how quirky, no matter how unique that is. Um, but it's also learning to trust in life. Like I think one, one thing I've learned is that when you do take those what, what could be considered risks or follow, take those paths or a career choice or any choice that you, you have no idea where it's going to lead – having sort of a, a certain level of faith that something is guiding you, something is going to be there for you, be there to support you. And if, if some, if challenges do come your way, then they are also, you know, parts of the, parts of the design mm. of the game to help you grow and to help you learn and to help you become stronger. And, um, also for me, a big learning tool was to, to learn to be vulnerable, to, to be, to, to surround yourself with people you can trust and be really vulnerable with them and allow them to coach you and allow them to, to steer you in the right direction. And 
um, and and you know not not let shame or not let kind of not let your head get in the way of being vulnerable and also surrounding yourself with people that are really um, supportive of you, people who don't judge you um, and allowing, yeah, people who nurture your creative side rather than judge it. Like if you're surrounded by any people who try to, you know, those people who under, try to undermine you or they're, they're full of jealousy mm. or they try to put you down or they give you those little snide remarks or those little, you know, way the ways they try to put you down because you're because often that happens because you're you following your heart highlights to them that they're not following theirs and that brings up a lot of pain. So to make themselves feel better, they'll try to bring you back down. And it's it's about having the courage to let those people go <laughs> yeah. because they're, they're they're really not serving you. Yeah, I find for me it's it's also that. Like sometimes we want that guarantee. Like if I do this, am, am I going to get that? Or or is this the, the safe yeah. path that I can go down? And and what I've learned is that that no one really knows what's going to happen on the 23rd of February next year. No one knows what they're doing then. You know what I mean? And, yeah. But, but we... We, we think that because if we, we go down the normal path, then then there's some kind of guarantee at the end. But I, I, I've kind of learned that there is no guarantee about anything. So you might as well just go down the path that makes you the happiest. Exactly. And no, you, could, you couldn't be more right. And, you know, I, I mean, I just experienced this recently with, with, you know, it might not seem like a major thing for people, but moving up here to Byron Bay, um, you know, my girlfriend and I didn't have any secure income up here. We, uh, it took 14 months from the moment um, we decided to actually kind of get all of Melbourne's sticky fingers off us so we could actually <laughs> be, be able to leave. Uh, we came up here not knowing where we're going to stay. We were prepared to stay. We were actually prepared to stay in a tent um, on by the beach for a month or two because we just heard getting a rental up here can be extremely difficult. Um, all sorts of different elements that were bringing up fear, you know, being away, my first time being away from the family for a long time, um, starting up this new, this new business, which is really opening ourselves up to deep levels of sharing, of sharing of our, our kind of traumas and the, the challenges we've been through. It's all, all really challenging us. Like there's many different paths we could have taken, that would have been considered more safe or secure or, you know, big kind of inverted commas. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, we, we, but we knew that we would, we wouldn't be happy if we didn't follow our heart. And I've, I've had too many times in the past where I didn't follow the heart and it really led me, uh, I really kind of felt the consequences of that. And what I've learned is when you do follow your heart and you trust, um, you're always supported I don't by some crazy hidden force. It's like something is there supporting you and the things that you need, the people you need to meet, the things that you need to happen if you just trust and surrender to the flow of life, they they appear. And one, one book that really had a big impact on me in that area, I don't know if you've read it, Mike, is um, called The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that in terms of following your heart, understanding the language of the universe, that book had a really big impact on me when I read it about ten years ago. So, um, yeah, it was yeah, about, it was about it was about that long ago since I read it too. But it's really interesting. It yeah. actually came up in a in conversation the other week with a friend of mine who who had just finished reading it for like the second or third time. And I thought to myself, you know what? I think I need to go back and read that one again. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah and you and you do once as you've developed you always go back and and sort of understand it on a whole a whole deeper level but it it is you know following your heart trusting in your your instincts it it can be really scary because like when you think about it these aren't subjects we're taught at in school are they where we go to school we're taught to sit in a chair we're taught to learn these things and you know but everyone's so different like one person might be excellent at english or one person might be excellent at music one person might be an excellent athlete one person might be more inclined to be a mathematician and we're sort of taught these same things and in a very head centric way rather than being taught to follow our follow our heart follow our intuition no i couldn't agree more with that but but matt i know that i've i've you've been very generous with your time here today and, and i'm quite conscious of that so i've got one final question for you yep. and it is one that i ask all of my guests on the podcast and that's if you could please describe your perfect day <laughs> my perfect day Ooh. um my perfect day would involve a lot of nature. Um, um, that's another reason I came up came up here is is the beautiful nature up in northern New South Wales. So um, it would be waking up, walk, you know, beautiful sun out shining. Uh, walk down the beach um, it would be ideal if my family, friends, the people you know, people I love were around me. Be able to go for a swim together. Uh, maybe go for like a long kind of nature walk, um, go somewhere for lunch, um, sit around in the afternoon, talking, sharing, laughing, um, go to dinner, go see a band later on, some local live music. Um, and yeah, it'd be pretty simple, honestly, like just, just all the, all the basics that I love, which is, uh, nature and, and having, having the people I love and care about around me. It's, it's why I really ask that question at the end of every episode because everybody gives everybody describes their perfect day and it is so simple. Do you know what I yeah. mean? And, and, and it, yeah. it just makes me realize that, that perfection is really simple, that, that the things that we really cherish and the things that we really want to do are quite attainable even in this crazy busy world. But Matt, I do want to thank you for your time today and – so much knowledge there about health and fitness, but also the the vulnerability that you showed by opening opening up and, and, and sharing your story. But if people do want to reach out to you and maybe have a few questions or if they, they want to follow you on the socials and things like that, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I mean, probably the best way until we launch this new website, which is hopefully three or four weeks away, uh, probably the best way is just through Facebook or Instagram um, so my Instagram, uh, I think my Instagram name is Matthew Bates. So it's two T's in Matthew, then B A T E, uh, and then one, 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 one. So Matthew Bates 11, 11. Um, and then I've this Matthew Bates on Facebook. So, um, yeah, more than happy for people to reach out. And if they want to write down the website, which will be launched soon, um, it's yeah, seedsofawareness.com.au or we'll be sort of talking a lot about it on our social media as well. But um, yeah, I want to want to really thank you for having me on and all, all the amazing work you're doing as well, Mike. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks heaps, mate. Thank you very much. And I will make sure that all of those links and everything else that we spoke about are in the show notes at liveimmediately.com. But is there is there anything that you want to say before our final goodbyes, mate, or have, have I forgotten anything? No, probably just the one thing like that I sort of um, forgot to mention is when you. Um, 
when you talked about how, you know, the perfect day is, is often so simple and it's the simple things that make us happy. And I also think, um, you know, when, when we're sort of, um, when we're, we're doing those things that make us happy, we're also very grounded in the present moment. Um, when we're kind of trying to always search for things to make us happy, things outside us, we're, we're very much thinking of the future, thinking of the past, and that can bring up a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress. Um, but when you, when you allow yourself to just be and allow yourself to slow down a bit, um, I, I think time actually, time goes a lot different and you, you're, cause you're a lot more anchored in the present moment, moment to moment and responding to what comes at you from life rather than constantly trying to plan and second guess and think and analyze and worry about the past and stress about the future and all that sort of thing. So it's not easy. It's something I'm, I'm still really working mm. on myself. <laughs> But it's just probably one last thing that I would, have, I would add in there. Oh, well, thank you very much for that, mate. And thanks again, Matt, for, for coming on the podcast and, and uh, giving me your time. And for everybody listening, thank you for listening. And until next time, have fun and live immediately. That was another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thanks so much for listening. The original Live Immediately theme music is by the multi-talented Timothy McPhee. You can check out his music at firekites.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed the show, had some fun, and maybe even learned something, then make sure you subscribe via iTunes. And while you're there, why not leave a rating and a review? You know it's going to make my day. Thanks for stopping by and giving me some of your time today. I'll catch you on the next episode. And until then, have fun and live immediately.